Let's turn in God's Word to the uh, prophet Isaiah in chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9, and uh, we'll be reading verses 18 through chapter 10, verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 18 through chapter 10, verse 4. And before we read God's Word, let's pray. Gracious Father, once again we come to You knowing that You are the gracious God of heaven and earth, and You are the God who loves us and speaks to us. And so cause us to not harden our hearts, but soften them by Your Spirit and by Your grace. And grant to us to see Christ, Your Son, even here in these words of judgment. Grant to us to see Your glory and Your power and Your strength, but also the One to whom we must flee, in Christ, Your Son, by faith. And so turn our hearts to You, and not to the things of this world, not to ourselves, but to you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 18. These are God's words. For wickedness burneth as the fire, it shall devour the briars and thorns, and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest, and they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry, and he shall eat on the left hand, and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh Ephraim, and Ephraim Manasseh. And they together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed, to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of the people, that widows may be their prey, and that they may rob the fatherless. And what will ye do in the day of visitation, and in the desolation which shall come from afar? To whom will ye flee for help? And will, where will ye leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners, and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away but His hand is stretched out still. Those are God's words. Those words uh, at the end of verse 21 of chapter 9, at the end of chapter, or end of verse 4 of chapter 10, the same phrase that should cause us to remember that our God is faithful in judgment and that He does not turn away from it. Judah has refused to be allies with Israel and Syria against Assyria, instead choosing Assyria uh, 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 instead of the Lord to align themselves with. The Lord had promised He would protect Judah from Israel and Syria and Assyria. 
But Israel and Syria particularly, when they came up against them, and we have seen some of that thus far, that He has protected them, even with promises of Christ coming to be with His people and a remnant that's come out of that people. But Assyria would also come being used by Jehovah in judgment to judge Judah for their unfaithfulness to the Lord. And last time we saw that we turned from considering Judah, the prophet did, to then considering the northern kingdom of Israel and the ruin, the judgments that are coming upon them because of their idolatry, for them not turning and seeking the Lord in the face of judgment. You remember verse 13, they didn't seek God even while being judged. That's where we are still in coming to the passage this evening. And that's the end of this evening, just as Israel... Uh, we are left with a question by the Lord. Uh, chapter 10, verse 3, the end of verse 3. To whom will ye flee for help? And all the passage promising judgments. But broadly speaking, we can concern ourselves with many things going on in our lives, the world, the church. At the end of the day, though, you're left with one question. To whom will ye flee for help? And though it's not on the surface, friends, it's here. It's one thing we must do. One one we must flee to is obvious. It's obvious in the text who we must flee to, and yet Israel doesn't have the answer. And so we cannot be like Israel in our answer. You remember when the judgments came upon Israel, chapter 9, verse 9. They responded in their pride and stoutness of their hearts. They said, we will rebuild. We will fix it. We will do this and we'll do that. The answer of what will ye do? To whom will you flee to? Was themselves. They're the solution. Themselves. But the Lord was going to bring Israel to ruin. From the leaders to the to the prophets, as we heard last Lord's Day, and all the people, for they led and followed into great sin and rebellion against Jehovah. Maybe you think, well, like last Lord's Day, maybe the Lord will show mercy. Maybe He will let up from His judgments. Maybe the Lord, though He promised judgment, will go back on His Word uh, in just a little bit and spare us. Well, the first point this evening, judgments guaranteed. Judgments guaranteed. Verse 18 of chapter 9, it says, For wickedness burneth as the fire. It shall devour the briars and thorns and shall kindle in the thickets of the forest. And they shall mount up like the lifting up of smoke. Fire. A great means. A lot of times communicated by the Lord of His judgments. Fire. The Lord's judgment is here promised to the end of the chapter. Chapter 9, verse 18 to the end. It's like a fire. That's what judgment's like. It, it will consume all the briars and thorns. Individual thorn bushes and briars. Individuals. Individual peoples. And that's what He's talking about here. But also, the corporate people will be coming under judgment to the thickets of the forest. They will come. 
under the great fire. All and everyone will be judged. His judgment will be like a great fire with a swirling uh, column of smoke rushing into the air, into the sky. You ever see in a video or in person a great blaze off of an oil tanker or some fire that's uh, uh, a large burning, hot burning fire. And the smoke of it is just, it's like rushing into the sky, fleeing away from the fire, but it's rushing into the sky. And why is that? Because the fire is such a great blaze producing such a great heat and so much smoke is being produced that it is fleeing away from the fire. That's the picture. That's the picture. But this fire and the smoking coming from up, up from it is Israel being consumed in judgment. That's the picture. And this fire, the smoke... This judgment is upon all of Israel. Individually, each one in, in, in Israel, from the leaders down to the, the peoples, but also the whole corporate nation of Israel as the northern kingdom. Verse 19 gives more detail. It says, Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened, and the people shall be as the fuel of the fire. No man shall spare his brother. A means... A means of God's judgment would be the people of Israel against themselves. That's what he's getting to. They would attack themselves so that no man should spare his own brother. Adding to this fire of judgment as more fuel to the fire, they would attack each other. Destroy each other. That's the wrath of the Lord. He often uses means. Just like he would use the instrument or means of Assyria against Judah or Babylon against Judah later on. Here it is Israel itself attacking Israel. Verse 20, what does this look like? It looks like, and he shall snatch on the right hand and be hungry. And he shall eat on the left hand and they shall not be satisfied. They shall eat every man the flesh of his own arm. Manasseh. Ephraim and Ephraim, Manasseh, and they together shall be against Judah. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. And here it is, you think, you think here's something new in the world. If we're putting ourselves in this time period, there's something new in the world here, but there's nothing new under the sun. Even in Isaiah's day, here's the picture of what this judgment is going to be like of starvation and cannibalism. Starvation and cannibalism. And the Lord sets before them the savage infighting like hungry people driven to cannibalism. And so that they eat their own flesh, their own arm. They destroy themselves. In other words, verse 21, like verse 21, they are going to eat those who are of their own flesh and blood. Israelites starving and eating Israelites. So Manasseh against Ephraim and Ephraim devouring Manasseh. And remember, those are the two sons of Joseph from which the tribes Manasseh and Ephraim come from. Given two tribes Israel was. That were brothers, and brothers, the closeness and relation was not a stopping point in their starvation and in the judgment. But here they are pictured, the tribes, the two brothers, devouring themselves. 
devouring each other. It would be guaranteed a free-for-all and none would survive. Savagely destroying each other in a, like a civil war or something like that. But they could unite around one thing. They were all against Judah. <laughs> they were all against God's people who, from whom Christ would come. They're all against them. And so, as it says, and they together shall be against Judah. There, in verse 21. And so in their desperation, they're fighting against each other and they're weakened. And they make themselves ready for the Assyrians to take them. You might say, as you look here of their infighting and then how that infighting led to their downfall before Assyria. And you think, well, of course, sin begets sin and there are consequences and effects of sin. And so uh, as, as judgments, uh, those effects we see that do lead to your further downfall. When you sin, there's judgments and that leads to your downfall. And it leads sometimes and oftentimes to more sin and more judgment. But notice verse 19, it says very clearly, through the wrath of the Lord of hosts is the land darkened. It's through the wrath of Jehovah of hosts, or Jehovah of armies. And yes, it's true. Sin begets more sin and, and brings about judgment. Sometimes God's judgment uh, upon sin in this world is at least in part the very outworking, the consequences of that sin. And it's true that in the world to come, the wickedness of the heart's of those damned will be the very instrument as part of their judgment. And yet it is judgment. It's not something that just happens automatically as if uh, God is just sitting back watching all this happen passively. You see here, judgment is a positive decree of Almighty God. And He judges. He, he The judgments... He sends our judgments that come in part by means of their own wickedness. And so though it seems visibly that the sinner has done this to himself, and it is that. The sin that they entered into, the Lord judges actively and brings about consequences of those sins as part of His judgment upon the sinner. You see the sovereignty of the Lord here in the judgments, and that He uses means in His sovereignty. And so in other words, the Lord doesn't distance Himself from His judgments. The modern church loves to distance God from His judgments because they want the lovey-dovey God that we keep hearing about uh, as we keep going about uh, talking about judgments because the Lord is. Uh, and he, they, they want God to be our friend and just our mere friend. And He's a great friend to those who turn to Him in Christ Jesus. But He's also the God of sovereign judgments. Which needs to, apparently needs to be, as we're going through this, needs to be uh, ingrained in our hearts because we keep hearing about Him. But He doesn't just sit back. He's the, main, he's the God who brings these judgments. He's decreed these judgments upon Israel. Through the wrath of the Lord of hosts. These judgments come. Judgments upon sin don't just happen out of thin air. They're sovereignly decreed, governed, appointed, and inflicted by Jehovah Himself. 
as unity in the truth is a great blessing to the people of God uh, that God sends and that's what we pray for and so He can send judgment by causing strife and conflicts to arise as He does here. Judgment's guaranteed. Well, how can they be guaranteed to come? It's because the Lord, God in His sovereignty has decreed them to come. Secondly, sin brings judgment. While God is sovereign over all judgment, sin brings judgment. Chapter 10, verse 1, it says, Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees, and that right grievousness which they have prescribed to turn aside the needy from judgment, and to take away the right from the poor of the people, that widows may be their prey and that they may rob the fatherless. And you know, as we've studied a lot, uh, what they're doing there, what's described there is against God. right? Because He loves to care and show mercy and calls His people to show mercy to the poor, the widows, and the fatherless, the orphans and the the widows, right? And so another reason why we have deacons. And there are many sins in Israel, and we have seen many of them mentioned in Isaiah thus far. There were many personal sins individual sins, but here it is the national, official wickedness that is in view in particular. And just to go back to uh, verse 18, it's not just the briars and the thorns, it's not just individuals he's judging, it's also the thickets of the forest, the, the group, the nation, corporately, that he's judging. It says... Woe unto them that decree unrighteous decrees and that write, this is like writing with a pen legislation or laws, and that write grievousness which they have prescribed. And goes on talks about how they're unjust towards the, the widow and the orphan and, and the poor. And they decried, they legislated wickedness. They made wickedness good and good evil. And God hates that. He loves goodness. And he hates evil. They legitimatized evil. In verse 2, they legalized the stealing from the poor and needy. They strengthened the wicked who oppressed the poor and needy. They helped the greedy and the dishonest instead of using the sword against them. You see, something we don't often talk about, we do pray about it, but we don't hear about it often in the church. We see here that the Lord detests, He detests national sin. The sins of nations. The sin of particular nations. And yet nations exist in this world. And He judges the wickedness of nations in this world in the present time. And though He's uh, that full judgment of sins will come upon individuals in the, the world to come, It's in this world that His full judgments will come upon nations in this world, in our present evil age. And we as a nation are certainly liable to the judgments of God. We need to understand and of course awaken our hearts to the reality of a national danger and peril of judgments of God coming. And the Lord has not promised anything good to a rebellious United States of America or a rebellious state of Missouri or a rebellious state of Kansas 
Jehovah can ruin the nation as any other nation, which He has before with the slightest, any slight infringement upon His truthfulness or faithfulness or holiness or His justice. Think again of all the great nations of the world just in Scripture and promised in Scripture. Assyria here, great nation. They will come to nothing. Babylon, they will come to nothing. Greatest nation ever, right? Greek, the Greeks. Alexander the Great went over all the world, right? Came to nothing. The Romans, they went around all the world. The Roman Empire came to nothing. And our nation is in that line of greatest nations. Our nation, we would say, is the greatest nation at this time. I think we could agree on that. And we're in that line. As a great nation, we have a great responsibility though. And yet a wicked nation. Our leaders are eager to tolerate and intolerant. We keep going about this because we need to see this. Uh, They're eager to tolerate an intolerant Islam, as we've been hearing about for a few weeks. They they even in our in our states are eager to tolerate through legislation the wickedness and promote sodomy and the wickedness like LGBTQ whatever things and uh, murder through abortions. And we could go on and on with the list of of evils and wickedness that they uplift which are evil and they're saying these are good and you you don't accept that you're evil but how confused our nation is for as much as they are eager to tolerate sodomy and islam which condemns and murders those who commit sodomy just confused what our nation is all about and yet in all of it of course the truth Christianity and Christ and Christians are despised and called evil. We are named bigots and fools. Better be to better to be a fool for Christ than a confused, irrational person of this world. Jeremiah five. Shall I not visit for these things? Saith the Lord, shall not my soul be avenged on such a nation as this? The same context there in Jeremiah is here. False prophets, there's wicked rulers. You remember chapter 9, last Lord's Day? Uh, they were mentioned uh, together. The, the leaders leading, the prophets following, uh, doing whatever the leaders told them or they wanted to hear, and so that's what they were prophesying. The wicked rulers of our nation... Have they condemned sodomy? No, they, they, they take pleasure in it themselves. They enter into it themselves. Have they declared Islam a false religion? That it is. No, they, they've exalted it and encouraged it. It's in our Bill of Rights. It allows for it. It encourages it. Right? Even in one of the first treaties of our nation, when we were Romans 13, we looked at this or considered it, the Treaty of Tripoli. Exalting in Islam. You remember, our nation, we need to remember, our nation is ripe for the judgments of God. How long will He hold off His judgments? We don't know. But we might ought, we ought to cry out mightily to Him for an outpouring of His Spirit to save us. 
as a nation. So sin brings judgment. Thirdly, the Lord's power to judge. The Lord's power to judge. Verse 3, it says in chapter 10, "What And what will ye do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from, a, from far? To whom will ye flee for help and where will ye leave your glory? Without me they shall bow down under the prisoners and they shall fall under the slain. For all this his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. In verse 4, in verse 4, when the enemy comes and conquers, they will be lower than the prisoners under them. Look at the language if you consider what it's saying. They will be buried under the dead bodies, the slain bodies. They will be buried under them. A picture of utter and absolute defeat and destruction and shame, for they will fall under the slain. This is an expression of what is said in verse 3. What will ye do in the day of visitation? Friends, the idea of the Lord visiting, visiting in the Scriptures is an important idea. On the one hand, the Lord visits to bless. Psalm 8, we're going to sing, What is man that thou art mindful of him, or the son of man that thou visitest him? And then the next verse speaks about Christ coming down and going up, ascending, being crowned to glory and honor. All for our blessing. He visits man to bless man. But God also visits to bring judgment. We just read Jeremiah 5. Shall I not visit for these things, saith the Lord? Shall not my soul be avenged on on such a nation as this? And so the idea of visitation is that God is coming to act. He's coming to act. It's not just coming and seeing. He's not coming and just looking around. He's not being passive in any way. He's coming and He's acting either in blessing or in judgment. In this case, it's in judgment. It doesn't say here, notice this, it doesn't say, what will you do if the day of visitation comes? No, He says, what will you do in the day of visitation? Implying, because it's coming. right? The judgment's coming. It's inevitable that Jehovah is going to judge. His judgment is coming to unrepentant sinners. It's coming upon an unrepentant nation of Israel. It's coming upon our unrepentant nation too. Because He judges unrepentant nations in this world at this time until Christ returns again. And He judges individuals finally and the world to come at the last day, the final day of visitation. The Lord says then in that day when it comes, what will you do? What will you do? Verse 3, what will you do in that day, that day of visitation unto judgment when that day comes? What will you do in the day of visitation and in the desolation which shall come from far? And then he elaborates and asks the question, or asks it a different way. To whom will ye flee for help? And where will you leave your glory? Or where will ye leave our glory? Your glory, excuse me. 
What will you do? Because there's no escaping this. To whom will you flee for help? There's no one and nowhere to turn to. There's nowhere to hide. There's no one to help when God's judgment comes. All those former objects of your joy and your trust that you made in this world as a nation, as individuals, your glory. Where will you leave your glory? Where will you leave these pleasures and joys and entertainments? Kind of like when people are buried, sometimes they think, you know, bury me with some of my riches and my rings and all these other things so that in the life to come I can have them. It's kind of like the idea here. Where are you going to leave those things so that uh, when you come back you can have them? Where are you going to put all that you hope to return to and your joy and your trust? Where's the safe place? Where will you leave your glory safe and sound for some future time? The answer is nowhere, because there's not going to be a future time where you can actually come back and get it. There's no recovery. There's no way back. The idols, the pleasures of sin, the riches. You think of all of Israel and their sins, and and also we could add in our sins of our nation here and, and our individual sins. All of it's going to be swept away in the judgment of God. Destroyed. Their false hopes will all be swept aside. All that they loved, all they trusted will be irreversibly swept away from them so that they couldn't put them in a safe place so that one day when things are a little bit better, we can come back and we can dig them up and have them again. And we will go on as before. No, never. Not at all. This is judgment. This is final. And that's true not only for this nation, but it's true for you, Christian, or for you, hearer, today. This is true for you. All your vain hopes and joys will be gone forever. All the riches and things, all those things you thought were important and you adored them, those thoughts you loved that that God is a God who doesn't really judge, a a God who doesn't take sin seriously, all the self-flatteries that you'll be alright somehow, and... uh, now the day of visitation has come and you're not alright. And the God who judges you is not a make, your make-believe God anymore, but Jehovah of hosts who comes now. And He speaks to you the truth in His power of judgment. It's this God of Isaiah 9 and 10. And in that hour, there is no way to leave those things you delighted in to take them up another time. There's nowhere literally to deposit them. There's no bank, a safe deposit box. There's nothing like that. uh, Those ludicrous ideas or foolish notions that you cherish, those lies you clung to, that God is not like this, He doesn't judge, those lies are gone now because He's coming in judgment. And you'll never be able to return to those things and find comfort in those ideas ever again. There will only be the wrath of God's anger forever. All those lies... Uh, that you believe from the atheists and the agnostics, uh, the men and women of so-called authority, the academic authority, uh, and the God of truth will come in the day of judgment, and the lies uh, 
on the earth, though they thought they were truth, or you thought they were truth, they will forevermore be revealed as the lies of what they were, always were. And those who trusted in those many lies, even though they thought they were truth, will be damned forever along with those who espouse them. And so the glory is not stored up for a future use. There's no coming back to those refuge of lies. Maybe, maybe it's you who say that you live day by day and not considering at all the future, you seek to just enjoy yourself in the moment. You're godless, self-pleasing, and the day of God's visitation will irreversibly end. The gossip and the secret sins, all gone. No returning to them. The judgment comes. And the Lord in judgment comes in so great a power that it cannot be avoided. And those things you trusted in while you ignored God and His truth will be no more. They're gone. Even the simplest things, yet sinful, sinfully used, will be gone. The love of them isn't gone. But they are gone. The one who alone can deliver sinners in the day of judgment comes against you as your enemy. And there's no one else. There's no other God but this God. All the other gods are vanity and false. It's just this God with whom you have to do. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior, the Son of Man. That's what we looked at at the beginning of chapter 9. The God who manifested Himself unto the world to come and die for the sins of His people to be King and rule over all. The Governor of nations. The One who brings peace. The Prince of Peace. Judgment has been committed to Him. Who can help you? To what will you what will you do? To whom will you turn for help? Who will you flee to? And the day of the Lord's anger and wrath and the day of judgment. Who will you turn to? The redeemed will not help you. Christians will not help you in that day. Yeah, they prayed for you. We should all be praying for them, right? They prayed for you and they protested and called unto you in this world. They spoke to you the good news of the Lord and salvation found in Christ alone, but you despised it all. And now in the world to come, they will have no pity on you. They will have no sympathy for you. They did on earth, but not in the world to come. They will say, behold, this is the man that made not God his strength but strengthened Himself in His wickedness. The holy angels, the holy angels will not help you. They will adore the justice of God in your damnation, just like the Christians will, the the truly believing ones. The holy angels will. The Psalm 119 says, Righteous art Thou, O Lord, and upright are Thy judgments. And Psalm 66, Say unto God, How terrible art Thou in Thy works, Through the greatness of thy power shall thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. So who's left? It's not the redeemed, it's not the holy angels that can show any pity on you. What about people like you? People who don't trust in God. People who have rebelled against God. Against Jehovah. Well, they won't help you either. They'll be like Manasseh upon Ephraim and Ephraim upon Manasseh. In the day of God's anger and judgment, they will be at each other's throats attacking each other to bring upon the other ruin. 
And this gives us some idea of the utter disharmony that there is amongst the wicked. There will be no love or unity or peace in hell. Heaven is a world of love. Hell is a world of wicked hatred and murder. The devil and his angels will not help you. This is what they wanted for you. Right? Matthew 25, you'll be cast into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. They don't, they are not going to help you. Satan flatters you in this world, poses as a friend, just like he did to Judas. And Judas betrayed Christ with a kiss and with a wicked courage and then hanged himself and went to his own place. Not to be with the Lord, but he went to be by himself. His own place. The devil who flatters you in this world, who encourages you not to take interest in the Gospel, he desires your damnation. And so no one in creation will help you or pity you. There's nothing. There's no one. Those redeemed, the holy beings, the perfectly conformed to the mind of God and holiness will not pity you because they love God. And those like you, Satan and his demons... They will not pity you or help you because they do not love God. No creature will pity or help you. And your Creator will judge you. Ezekiel 7. Mine eyes shall not spare, neither will I have pity. I will recompense thee according to thy ways and thine abominations that are in the midst of thee. And ye shall know that I am the Lord that smiteth. So if you die in your sins and you don't turn to Christ by faith, you will have an endless, comfortless hell. You see now that what reality, the one thing needed, what really matters. Even the Christian, do you see what one thing is really needed, what really matters? Those things you toss and turn at night in your bed uh, about how important are they compared to this question in verse 3. To have forgiveness of sins and peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the one thing needed. But you must seek Him because this God to whom vengeance belongs has set forth His Son, the one who has borne the vengeance of God in the place of guilty. He bore the judgment of God in the place of guilty sinners, of men and women and children. He is the refuge of sinners, and this is to whom you must flee, to Jesus Christ. Or else the Lord will execute His righteous vengeance upon you to all eternity. And then there will be no hope and there will be no one to turn to. And that's what really matters. So believers, Christians, you have this peace with God, you have this unparalleled benefit and blessing, and you have often vexed yourselves in other things. And the light, though, of this good news, if we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, shall we not cast all our cares upon Him, knowing that He cares for us? That He knows everything about us? He cares for us? And yet, to vex ourselves about minor things. And you say, well, they're not that minor. But compared with this, they are. Don't you think? Isn't, a cause of, isn't it a cause of shame to so concern ourselves with sleepless nights like this for such minor things? 
And yet, does that not warrant confession to God that we have been bestowed with an everlasting salvation through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who has delivered us from the wrath to come and that judgment we've been hearing about? And yet, we accounted it a small thing that we become anxious and we worry and we vex ourselves on matters by comparison that are trivial to this one important question of verse 3, to whom must we turn and to whom or what will we, what will we do? And so we have to turn and trust the Lord. When you're vexed or you're anxious, turn to the Lord. What will you do? Turn to the Lord. Every answer is always going to be turn to the Lord, right? When you're downcast in your heart, or like people say, depressed, turn to the Lord. Trust God with the details of your life, even as we trust Him with our everlasting salvation, with that peace that we have from Him, peace with God. And to save us from that day of judgment and the day of visitation in which He'll bring us to that everlasting glory in our Lord Jesus Christ. And so all of you, the question to you and to all of us, what will you do? To whom will you flee? And all of you, the only answer is, you must come now and flee to the Lord Jesus Christ to save you from your sins and the coming wrath of God from all those little minor things that are happening in our lives, come to Him to save you from them, to help, to be your help. Because the coming wrath is coming. And it's coming upon this nation in, in time, in this time, in this world. And it's coming upon all individually in the time to come. And day of judgment, when you appear before God, what will you do? And who to whom will you flee? And we pray, may it be the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is your only hope and your only Savior in that time. Let's pray. Our Father, thank You once again for Your Word. We're thankful that You know all things. You see all things. You see our sin. And we confess our sins now that we have broken Your commandments. We've often turned to ourselves. Even as Your people, we've turned to ourselves. We've turned to these minor things and trusted in them and therefore have had sleepless nights at times and have been caused to sin. And Father, we pray that we would be grieved over our sin. Father, that we would also rejoice and have joy in the hope that we have in Christ alone. And we pray if there's any here who don't know You, that they would know of what their state is, that they don't have anyone to flee to. The only option is to flee to Christ, but it has to be now. And so cause them by sending Your Holy Spirit into their hearts and grant them the gift of faith and repentance, the grace of repentance unto life. And grant them salvation eternally with You. That is our only hope today. And so grant it to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.